Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over a 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family no purchase necessary vgw group void where prohibited by law 18 plus terms and conditions apply Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi there, I'm Brian Abana, and you're listening to the Mall Over Podcast. Hello, everyone. I am joined by uh, Ruth Lilly, who is the media producer for At Cancer Rugby, which is Rugby Against Cancer. Um, welcome, Ruth. Welcome to the Mall Over Podcast. Thank you. Nice to join you. It's always nice to have a, a new debutant. It's uh, a new voice for people to listen to as well. So uh, I hope you're all well. Yep, yep, all good, all good. Getting excited for this weekend's event, to be honest. Um, the, count, the, the official big countdown's on with five five days to go. Amazing. Well, we'll come on to that in, in just a second, which is, is something that um, is why you're on, to plug the big event for the Rugby Against Cancer, a big trek this weekend. Um, but first of all, like, can you give us a bit of a background for those people that don't know you know, where did rugby against cancer come from? Obviously, it's fairly self-explanatory what it's about, but you know, how how did it get started? Um, so I joined them last year, but before that, there was a group of guys who played down in Hampshire, a couple of teams involved, um, and they just had this idea to run an event to raise money for uh, cancer charities. Um, and I think like the first event just absolutely blew up. They didn't expect as many people to turn up for the match, um, and they you know surpassed their expectations on fundraising and it sort of just went from there really um and they've been putting on rugby against cancer matches um for the past few years uh i joined them last i think about may time april may time um and since then in november we got official charity status um so it's all sort of full steam ahead on growing the charity getting out there everybody you know getting the, the name out there so people can you know apply for help if they if they need to Oh, that's amazing. And obviously, cancer charities are something that's that's close to so many people's hearts. I know I've got personal stories. I bet that I bet there's not one person out there that hasn't been touched in one way, shape or form by by cancer. So it's amazing that, that there's something specific to rugby out there that can that's looking to help. I mean, you mentioned some of the rugby matches. There. Is there any other events that, that have been that have been in the past uh, other than sort of rugby matches? Um, yep. Yeah, so this we have done two treks. 
Um, the first trek, which would have been, oh, I'm trying to remember years now, 2019, I think, um, where they walked from Portsmouth uh, to Twickenham Stadium for the Army-Navy match. Um, last year, they had uh, the second trek, which walked from Twickenham Stadium back to Portsmouth. And we raised something like £17,000, I think, um, on the second one. Uh, and yeah, this weekend is the the final third third and final trek, um, which sees them walking from uh, Guy's Cancer Care Centre in central London all the way back down to Portsmouth. And it's the biggest event at the furthest distance and the most amount of people taking part. That's incredible. I mean, I've, I've been looking at the uh, the Just Giving page and I can see like the 30 grand target has been absolutely smashed to smithereens. Um, which is fantastic news, you know, 40, just over £40,000 raised to date. Um, I, I assume that Portsmouth Rugby Club is is one of the clubs that have been sort of in this from the very start? Um, yeah, so our founder, Aaron, um, plays for them and has connections down there. So there's, there's quite a few of them are, are sort of based in the Portsmouth area. So they, they've always been sort of central to some of the organising um, of previous events and where they've played matches before. Amazing. And as I say, hopefully the weather's good this weekend. That always helps. Can people can people still get involved? Um, they can. Uh, one, they can donate online um, or uh, if they are in the London, Hampshire or sort of Surrey area, if they look at where any of our checkpoints are, we're trying to keep up to date with the times and stuff and they can come down, cheer the walkers on, drop money in the pots, um, you know, give a bit of a morale boost on the route because they are walking non-stop through the night. So Every little bit of morale boost at any checkpoint is just going to be absolutely uh, like needed, basically. Yeah. Is there so? Uh, and you say on the website or or on Twitter where people can find the the route that the guys are following? Yep. So the route is on our Just Giving page. So if you if you search Rugby Against Cancer or the final trek, um, it should you should be able to find it in the links in there. Um, but it'll be all all over all of our socials as well. So we're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. If you just search Rugby Against Cancer you'll find us and we're, you know, Friday night we'll be posting it and then we'll keep be keeping people updated Saturday, Sunday um, until the until the finish line. Awesome. Awesome. So like how, how long are you expecting it to, to take? Uh, so it's 80 miles. Um, there's 63 walkers and we're having, we're splitting them between six groups. They'll sort of be sort of 10, 20 minutes apart um, at each checkpoint. And the target is about 32 hours. Um, yeah, we're, we're, we're hoping 32 hours. We're hoping to arrive at Portsmouth. We leave, sorry, we leave London um, from half eight on Saturday morning and we're hoping to arrive in Portsmouth about five o'clock on the Sunday uh, oh, afternoon. Perfect, almost perfect timing. As I say, the weather, the weather's looking promising for the weekend as well, which which would really help. Yeah, let's hope because at the moment it's thunderstorms right now. Oh, so hoping it I mean, <laughs> it's been it's been hailstoning down here this morning, and we're nearly in June. It's, I just find it incredible. I assume I assume you're taking part as well. You you keep saying we, so you th- you know you're putting yourself through it as well. Uh, I'm not. I am. Oh. Uh, I'm, I'm filming it, but I'm going to walk the first sort of twenty miles from London, um, like out towards sort of Hampton area, um, and then yeah, I I will be. Drive, driving the rest because I've got to film it at the same time and take photographs and all that. Yeah, well, you know, it takes all sorts. Support crew and all that, you know, yeah. equally as important. Yeah, we do have uh, we have twenty people on the support crew, so um, lots of volunteers getting involved as well. So it's nice yeah. to see that people want to, even if they can't take part in the auto challenge, um, they're, they're hopping on board to volunteer and help out. Absolutely, plenty of hydration, plenty of snacks. Yes, definitely. <laughs> plenty of plenty of plasters, just in case. I hope I hope everyone's broken in their walking boots or trainers or whatever they decided to walk in. 
Yeah, we did do a lot of recommendation during the training to make sure they did all the different pairs of trainers that they're going to wear, the different socks that they're going to wear. Um, we had Compi donate um, loads of blister plasters. We've had Sport Tape donate tape and stuff to keep them together. And yeah, it's just been a crazy organising it. But uh, yeah, I can't wait for Saturday for all to kick off, really. Excellent. And there's some rugby on at the weekend as well. So hopefully people can put their headphones in. And if they're not, you know, as they're stomping away, listen to the rugby on the on Five Live or, or wherever it's being broadcast. That is true. Yeah, they could. I don't think they will do during the London leg because I think everyone will just sort of be buzzing. Yeah. But maybe maybe towards the evening. As it, as it gets into the sticks. And, and you never know, people might might locate some rugby related podcasts that they might want to listen to. Exactly. And uh, yeah, that's right. And then there's loads, there's loads of about. There's loads of them. Are there any? Um, obviously, we'll tweet out all of the the contact information, all of your social media, all of that sort of stuff. Um, is there any any events coming up in the future? Is there anything any plans coming up after the trek that, that you're able to tell us about? Um, yes. Yeah, so we have um, the first match of the summer for us, which is rugby against cancer versus the Pacific. Pacific Islanders rugby I think I said that correctly um and then we also have two South Sea Super Socials tournaments um uh, so they're tens tournaments there's a women's one and there's a men's one they're on two different dates just because of of venues and things um and yeah and then we're already planning for future events sort of looking looking forward sort of from next year onwards um but they're a surprise so I can't tell you those yet no that's that's fine (laughs) so well we we we're kind of planning a like a mall over invitational rugby match in Cornwall in October so what what I'm going to do is off off the back of this chat and I'm obviously inspired by all of the stuff is suggest that you know our listeners we've got people coming from all over the country to Newquay to come and play in this match we're just going to try and get everyone together and uh and we'll we'll see if we can do some fundraising at the same time for rugby against cancer and try and make it a a bit of an event as well as a as well as a big social and and hopefully we can raise a few quid and and donate it to the cause as well so that you know, sounds absolutely fantastic slight slight exclusive that uh that I've just decided right in this second you know so if the other guys are listening that's what we're going to do rugby against cancer that's what we'll support and uh and on the day we'll try and raise a bit of money raise a bit of money for that that sounds great um and yeah and obviously if if people know anybody who are who is affected by cancer they can go on our website and they can request support and grants um for things like that so you know we're not just all about the fundraising we are about the giving back to people who need it so yeah and that's really important you know knowing that that support is there for people you know no matter how big or small or what they need and you know sometimes it's just advice sometimes it's just someone to talk to and knowing that these organisations and organisations such as Rugby Against Cancer are there, you know, rugby's a big, there's a big thing about rugby being a family and a community and something that brings people together, isn't there? So, you know, being able to demonstrate that is is super and uh, long may it continue. Yeah, exactly. Awesome. Well, Ruth, thank you very much for your time today. It's been great to learn a little bit about it and hopefully, you know, as a podcast and, and in general, we can get involved moving forward somehow, even if it's just promoting it and getting you on to talk about it on the podcast. And of course, with your ties to, to rugby and, and your day job, you're always welcome to come on the podcast <laughs> and talk about some actual rugby if you want. I mean, most people get bored of listening to, to us most of the time. So, uh, yeah, you're more than welcome to come on and, and chat some actual Premiership rugby. Sounds good to me. Sounds good to me. <laughs> awesome. Ruth, it's been a pleasure to meet you. Thank you very much for your time and uh, we'll catch up very soon. And best of luck for the weekend. Thank you very much. Thanks. 
Hello, good evening, and welcome. It's, it's to lovely week. when it's someone else's turn, isn't it? Oh, sorry, mate. Sorry. <laughs> and welcome to this week's More Over podcast. The only rugby podcast that gives us the news, news, and reaction. Or with the West Country accent, you can find us on Twitter. We are at More Over Podcast. More Over Podcast on Facebook. And you can find all of our podcasts on uh, Anchor and Apple Pods and lots of other good places. But not Alexa yet, Adam. Can't get it on Amazon Alexa yet. And I'm fucking fuming about it. You, you, long you sufferers. Say that, you say that like I work fault. for them. I know, yeah. <laughs> your fault. You've got I just the long suggested that you should it. do it. That's all yeah. I did. I can say to Alexa, play Long Snapper podcast, and I can get too much mark. Yet, I asked for the all over podcast, and she plays nothing of the sort. Unbelievable. <laughs> um, well, as you may have guessed, like we all know, and uh, for the previous interview with, with Ruth, you, you will already know, that uh, we absolutely detest European rugby, especially this season, because it's been... Uh, an absolute shit show, and the the competition has been devalued by uh, the ECPR and all that belong to it because of the stupid uh, uh, format that they tried to bring in. So with that in mind, and you've already heard the phenomenally dulcet tones of our resident quiz master, Adam Foxcroft, from the Long Supper podcast, part of the Mallover podcast conglomerate, then yes. it means one thing and one thing only. Punching chat. Punching chat. Now, Phil's here. Hi, Phil. Hi. Ben's here. Hi, Ben. Hi. Uh, Douglas is not here. He's at the darts. Um, uh, but he has recorded some answers that Adam is probably going to score once you've played them through your microphone. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how this works. Um... <laughs> yeah, so they may they may sound not very good. You may struggle to hear them. I've been assured that they're quite funny, um, a la as funny as Doug could be. Um, but after listening to Doug talk to Eddie at the end of last week's uh, Rugby Ranta Banter for 20 minutes, where I got an absolute peppering um, between them, then i'm giving andrews all he fucking gets this evening so um <laughs> yeah let's um let's get cracking at them shall we you're you're in charge you know okay. for those who don't know i mean you can explain the rules I, c- I could explain the rules but if you don't know them by now frankly you will never no, i'm not going to explain them. the rules um you know there'll be some questions there'll be some answers there'll be some sound effects that loosely resemble scores um yeah and um, so, but if you are listening to this for the first time and you hear arbitrary loud sound effects, it's part of the game. Don't complain about it. Have people complained about that? During Punching Chat last year, there were some complaints about random sound effects. I don't think they kind of got it, but yeah, there were. So, so interestingly, we're on a very strict time scale here. And Russ has wasted three and a half minutes of quality Punching Chat time doing his intro. <laughs> All right. right. I'm going okay. to crack on. Um, a little bit of admin. The last time we did this, which was quite a while ago, I we did defend the undefendable at the end, and I panicked and didn't give Doug the victory. And I should have given Doug the victory because he defended something that was quite frankly despicably undefendable. <laughs> and I gave him the question. Um, and I just had this panic of, 
I hope people don't think we mean this. I can't give Doug the victory. So, Doug, you can have some points. Um, you're not here, um, so that makes it that makes what, the whole thing easier. What did he defend? Uh, it was something to do with Ryan Giggs. Um, you may recall. We, let's not dwell on it. Was it was um, it to do with like having sex with his brother's wife or beating people? I mean, the beating people up came later, didn't it? So. Uh... <laughs> It's best. Well, you can listen back. I'm sure it's there. Um, also, a quick bit of admin. We were supposed to record yesterday, um, but Phil, it was your wedding anniversary. Is that right? It was indeed. Yes, okay. it was. Yeah. So there we go. Um, that's the that's the admin out of the way. Nicely for us. But um, for prioritising trying to get laid over punching chat. Yeah, trying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Add the points back. There you go. Right. <laughs> um, question one. And if you've listened before, you'll know that we, we always start this with a rugby question. Um, obviously, we're doing this. The very fact that we're recording Punching Chat suggests that you, as all over hosts, really, really hate European rugby. Um, but if you could scrap it, what would you replace it with? Um, ben, let's go to you first. <clears throat> well, I'm going to shock you. I like it. I like European rugby, despite what we said earlier. Um, but I only really like it once it gets to the point where there's good teams in it. And I like it for its rarity value. So what I would do is the same thing I suspect one of the others is going to say in a minute. Um, but I would also restrict it to once every other year. Um, so when there's a Lions tour... I would prioritise the Lions tour over everything else and shove everything back a few weeks and make a bit of room for the French leagues and the um, the English leagues to come to their conclusion before the Lions gets going. And I would do the same in a World Cup year. Um, it'd be good for the World Cup, it'd be good for the Lions and it would be good for the dreaded player welfare. There we go. Um, at this point, I'm going to test myself technically early. And let's hear from Doug for the first time. Um, Douglas, this is going to be seamless, isn't it? Or everything about this. Let's give it a go. So if I was going to replace European rugby with anything, obviously the obvious answer would be um, rest week so that we can all have a bit of a break from this shit. I think that's why <laughs> the majority of us don't participate in European rugby. It's like, how am I meant to get excited about in La Rochelle against Toulouse. I couldn't give less of a shit about either of them, to be honest. There you go. That was Doug. Uh, <laughs> I mean, very, very Lensman-like, succinct and, and to the point. Yeah, that's the point, Doug. There you go. Um, he's in the lead. How about that? Um, Phil, what's your answer? So, I think part of the reason I don't like Europe is for the same reason that I don't really like the equivalent in football. And that's that they've created this structure based around having as many games to put on TV as possible. And so many of those games up be, end up being meaningless. So what I would do is I would have, I'd take 48 teams. I'd take all of the top 14, all of the pro 14, all of the premiership. And then I'd pick eight sides from um, other countries in Europe. And I'd have a straight knockout where the bottom 32 on ranking have a have a kind of pre-qualification round. Um, 16 of those go through, meet the top 16, and a straight knockout competition all the way through. So every game ends up mattering. 
But then what I would do is when you get down to the stage where there could be games on where you really don't give a shit about the teams that are playing, fill that time on TV with a lot of obscure sports a la grandstand in the 90s. I want to see some kabaddi on telly, just filling that slot that rugby should be in. I don't want to see German third division football. I want to see some proper obscure sports going on. I want to see that uh, the game that they play in Kazakhstan where they all ride on horseback and kick around a dead goat's carcass. That I just, was just want in the film want... Borat, wasn't it? <laughs> no, 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 it's it's an actual sport. It's oh, really? a Kazakh national sport. Yep. I want to see all that kind of stuff on telly. Um, but you can only do that by having straight knockout first. There are there are certain areas of Cornwall where they play that as well. <laughs> Down on the um, Roseland. Yeah. All right. I mean, it's very clear that, well, other than Doug, obviously, whose answer was the best one, um, that you're all in favour of a certain type of knockout rugby instead. Um, but, Russ, let's hear your, your answer. Well, I'm actually going to elaborate a little bit on what Ben just said, because I'm go- to incorporate on what he said around the biannually European rugby competition, what I'd like to see is in, in between those years, I'd like to see some sort of competition involving the super rugby sides. So we had some kind of world club championship because I'd like nothing more to see the, the styles of Exeter go up against the Crusaders or the Chiefs versus Harlequins or, you know, uh, Brisbane, Brisbane versus Saracens, two second rate sides. And uh, although Queensland led, Queensland is Brisbane, isn't it, Phil? Is that right? Queensland Reds? I, that is, that is correct. Yeah, anyway, so but yeah, so some second rate teams I'd like to see go together, like Melbourne Rebels and London Irish, for instance. Um, but yeah, I just think the styles of play are so wildly different across the, across the hemispheres that it would make for a really good competition and it could be hosted like opposite sides of the World Cup in, in a Lions year, maybe, or you know, wherever the Lions are playing host it there and have and have a load of the um a load of those players not necessarily involved but have a big old tour and make it a real event there we go um i better be careful here this might descend into actual rugby content and analysis um, it's dangerously close to that um so we'll we'll move very quickly on to question two and we've just had the eurovision song contest which i'm sure we all enjoyed um but which element from the Eurovision Song Contest would you like to see incorporated into sport? Um, in fact, Russ, we'll go straight back to you. No comment. <laughs> um, I just, it's a bold tactic. That, it is a bold tactic. There are absolutely zero redeeming features about Eurovision whatsoever. It has nothing about it which i either like rate or enjoy the the fact that for for some reason they incorporated australia into it for a little while when it's called eurovision means it's an absolute shit show over oh, they, they're, they're still doing that but australia oh, they, didn't well, qualify <laughs> that's what that's what i mean like i haven't watched it for that long it's that shit and the fact that you can have a, a half decent song allegedly i didn't even listen to that and still get naught points um, when we were part of Europe and Brexit, uh, before Brexit, we got nought points. Then we decided to leave Europe and we still get n- nil poids. I don't understand it. I don't rate it. And I find it utterly, utterly pointless. 
a bit like uh, the Challenge, European Challenge Cup. There we go. It's like we've had Doug's answer early. Um, should we? Should we go to him? I mean, yeah. he he might have something more cheery. There's only one answer on this, and that's uh, um, anyone sitting at a bench or a table should be um, made to take cocaine, and it should be every cameraman's duty to try and film these people doing it as surreptitiously as possible. I don't think there'd be anything more fun than watching Harry Kane um, doing a line off of uh, Gareth Bale's thigh at the uh, on the subs bench at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's. Uh, that's I mean, get... thigh, thigh wasn't something that I thought he would say for that <laughs> sentence. Kane's got the hooter for it, though, hasn't he? <laughs> I tell, tell you, I've got the hooter for it. Of uh, Vincent Rates. But that's another story. <laughs> All right, Phil. Um, so I would like, and uh, I, I had this thought about rugby, but it pretty much applies to every um, every sport where there's multiple events at scoring. I'd like to bring in a political scoring system, whereby <laughs> when, when you see a try scored at the moment, it invariably goes to the TMO for them to look at it for 40 seconds. Scrap that, bin the TMO, and instead just have a panel of three international judges who decide how many points that try is going to be worth based on how much they like the country that's playing. <laughs> so if you've got, if you've got say, uh, South Africa versus England, I'd love to see a Zimbabwean judge up there. Just uh, every time the South Africans score, they just take points off them rather than awarding them. But just, yeah, really push the political boundaries of... Uh, like sports been fair for far too long is that is that like having a welsh judge see england south africa there would be a welsh judge and a south africa and a zimbabwean judge in in yeah. a box i think yeah. and uh, and then and then a true neutral and then yeah you've got to have a swiss one there for every competition <laughs> apart from where austria is involved like like a boxing scorecard where you where you get points for like say throwing punches yeah and and similarly to a boxing scorecard where the points play absolutely zero reference to how well that that try was scored or that goal was scored and it's purely based on how much they like the country excellent lots lots of points for that one uh ben um <clears throat> i was gonna say bearded transsexuals um <laughs> i thought that was too much of a crossover to eddie's pod the other night um so I've gone for the sarcastic commentary as perfected by Terry Wogan and uh, Graham Norton. So uh, I thought, for example, Jay Dernback stepping up to bowl the last over. Can he keep it to under 24? Of course he can't. <laughs> We've seen him warming up. I mean, I think, I think if, we, if and when we do some kind of watch along with a rugby match and we can do that, that should be our angle. Why don't you tweet Jade Dernbach, Russ, and, and ask him? I can't. It's not allowed. <laughs> All right. Quick look at the scores. Russ, you're, you're last on five points, but that's probably because you didn't answer that question. Um, Ben's on 19. Doug's on 20. Phil in the lead on 25. Right. Next up, this time with Alan Partridge, got a second series, um, which is currently airing on BBC One, 9.30 on a Friday night. Check it out. Um, we're obviously all enjoying that. Um, but who is sports' greatest Alan? Um, Phil, why don't you start? 
Well, I did think that I did think that of one, um, but I'm not going to say it in case any of you pick it up. But then I thought, actually, we're talking about Allen's A L A N, um, and any other spelling really should be discounted. So just throwing that in for a start. Um, but clearly, clearly the answer is uh, Alan Minter, undisputed world middleweight champion, um, British boxer, uh, 39 wins. Um, not only that, I'm not going to go full Wikipedia on you, but not only did he, it was the undisputed world middleweight champion, but he also killed somebody in the ring, which has got to stand for something. <laughs> I mean, it takes undefeated to a whole new, uh, <laughs> whole new level. All right, um, Ben, sports greatest, Alan. <clears throat> well, I thought we had to go for a World Cup winner, um, so I've gone with Alan Ball, uh, who played obviously for England in 1966. Played um, played in 1970 as well, so uh, quite long lasting. Was youngest player in the side, uh, no longer with us. Um, I haven't really got anything funny to say. I just think it's probably the right answer. Oh, fair enough. Um, it's also A-L-A-N, um, but there you yeah, go. Um, with that in mind, Russ, who have you got? <laughs> um, I have gone for the prickly, diminutive Australian, former Australian cricket captain, Alan Border. Um, now, you know, we all know my love of, of cricket. And I'm not the biggest fan of Australia or the Australians in general. But there's no denying Alan Border's sporting prowess. Uh, 156 test matches at an average of 50.56. For a long time, he held a number of world records, most career test runs until he was passed by Brian Lara. Uh, most consecutive test matches, 153, which was surpassed by Steve Waugh and then Alistair Cook. Batted more test match innings than any other player until Sachin Tendulkar. Uh, and the list goes on. Um, he turned Australia into, basically, he turned them around and made that team and that ethos that made them so dominant in test cricket throughout the, for the sort of late 80s all the way through the, the 90s. And yeah, so for me, the great sports greatest Alan is Alan Border. How's that spelled, Russ? Uh, A-double-L-A-N. Okay. There we go. Um, right, we better hear from Doug on the matter, who has definitely given me an answer that I have to hand. Here we go. Sports Greatest Allen's a simple one for me for a couple of reasons. He's won four world titles. He's run a Formula One team of his own. And he's also got the same middle name as his wife. So I am Marie Pascal Prost, the Frenchest man in all of sport outside of Michel Platini, I think. Um, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do love her. Uh, can't think of anything uh, else. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well done, Doug. Here's the points. Obviously, um, it's A-L-A-I-N, isn't it? So there you go. Um, right, chaps, I'm going to now throw a curveball at you. Um, I'm going to give you a question that you don't know about. Well, actually, strictly speaking, one of you knows about. Um, and it is this, with animal... Well, I'm, before I, after I read the question, just shout out answers. Um, it's just going to be a quick thing. 10, 15 seconds, just as they come to you. Um, shout them out. Um, Doug's given an answer as well. Um, so here we go. With animal rights activists blocking McDonald's distribution centres this week, who is the biggest whopper in sport? Oh, fuck. Israel Folau. 
There's too many. Joe, Joe Marla. Sam Lana. Sam, yeah. <laughs> Daniel, Daniel Levy. Yeah. Um, the Glazers. Yeah. Yeah, I'll give you points, Ben, when I've uh, found mine. I think. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Very good. Have um, you seen the state of Joe? Is it Joel Glazier? Is it his hair? Has he got a bot like a bald head and a tiny little rat's tail? Have you seen it? <laughs> <laughs> there you go right uh doug sent an answer for this as well which i've i have i don't have enough hands to do this job but that's my problem not yours right doug biggest one principal easy william ports or as he's more commonly known billy born in uh july 1948 he was a basketball player um among others for the new york nets spurs rockets um, six foot eleven, and his nickname was Whopper. So literally, the biggest Whopper in sport. <laughs> uh, yeah, Doug did his homework there. There you go. Um, it's fairly pointless me scoring Doug. Actually, I might stop. Um, he's not going to get. He's not going to get in defending undefendable. That would be ridiculous. But also, also, I'm guessing the chances are he's not going to finish last. <laughs> Maybe, well, maybe, or maybe I have a defend the undefendable that I want to throw at you. Who knows? We'll see. Who knows? Uh, not that this is fixed by any means. You know, I'd never, never do that. All right. Next question. Um, we're finally getting the Euros. Euro 2020 is going to start soon in mid-2021. Um, with that in mind, what's your favourite Euros moment from history? And actually, I'm going to start with Doug and get this, I was going to say, out the way. But yeah, get it out of the way. Greatest moment in the Euros, definitely from Euro 96, one of um, the best summers of my life, uh, probably the best summer of most of our lives, to be honest, sitting around this podcast. But um, England 4, Holland 1, when uh, the third goal went in, you started to believe, and then the fourth went in, and pretty much the lights went off in my uh, in my brain, and I can't really remember a lot else of what happened that night. <laughs> good, good end to that, Doug. Thank you. <laughs> Um, I, yeah, I can't be bothered to score Doug's answers anymore, so I'm not going to. Right, um, Ben. Um, well, I wanted to do Euro '96 as well because Doug's right; that was the greatest of the greatest summer of all time. Um, so, I, I I had a couple of things in my mind, and I thought the uh, the sort of iconic moment was probably Stuart Pearce whacking in a penalty against Spain. In what was a pretty bad England performance, we just about struggled to penalties. And uh, I think the official phrase that you're actually contracted to say is exorcising the ghosts of <laughs> Italia 90 um, and going absolutely tonto. And uh, I think that was just uh, how a lot of us were feeling at the time. I have goosebumps just thinking about that moment, let alone watching it again. It's just incredible. My, uh, my, my uh, best mate at uni... Uh, he's called Martin. He's named after Martin O'Neill. And uh, his mum had a life-size Stuart Pearce cutout in their kitchen. <laughs> Sat at the dining table. <laughs> yeah. Do it with, that, with that particular pose or that face, I, I imagine. Superb. Right, uh, Russ. I mean, quite obviously, we are all gentlemen of a certain age. And I've also gone for Euro 96. And that, that summer was unbelievable for so many reasons. I mean, I was 
uh, what was I? I was 14 and I found myself on a, uh, a school foreign exchange. And I don't know if you guys ever went on these. You know when you have a German kid come and stay at your house for a week and then you go over there and stay at his house for a week, like do a school swap. You do it as a group. So there's loads of people from your, from your class. And I was in Germany for Euro 96. Um, I was there for the England-Holland game. I was also there for the England-Scotland game. And my highlight was that sort of few minutes, that period of play where we gave away the penalty. David Seaman saved that Gary McAllister penalty. And then almost instantaneously, we went up the other end. Paul Gascoigne chipped Colin Hendry, smashed it past Andy Gorham into the bottom corner and went on to reprise the dentist chair which I think was everybody's highlight of Euro 96. And uh, Teddy Sheringham squirting that water bottle into Paul Gascoigne's mouth is an absolutely iconic photograph and one of the best moments of uh, my European history. Excellent. Um, let's finish the round off. Phil? So, Russ is right. We are all men of a certain age, and that Euro 96 was, was a fairly big thing for all of us. Um, but for me, what I like about the Euros is the fact is, is there's a degree of unpredictability about it. It throws up things that, I mean, the World Cup becomes a bit kind of staid and expectable, and, but, it, but the Euros throws up results that you don't expect in teams. You've got Iceland and Wales in the last one. You've got uh, Greece winning it. But the thing, the, the memory that sticks with me is actually four years earlier. It's the 92 European Championship. Only eight teams, which is great. Love a tournament with only eight teams. Um, and probably the lowest ranked team going into it, uh, Denmark, managed to scrape through the group with, uh, with one win, one draw, one loss. Get through to the semis where they're playing the Netherlands. Nobody expects them to win that. They win that on penalties. Um, having drawn two all, Henrik Larsson getting both goals, get through to the final against Germany and they have zero hope at all. And they go on and beat the Germans 2-0. And all, all of a sudden you've got this this kind of uh, real real interest in sport and expectation that, that the favourite isn't always going to win. Um, and I mean, Christ, they had a hell of a squad. Uh, the squad that won the... Um, the the junior championship a few years before, but guys like Peter Schmeichel, Brian Laudrup, Henrik Larsson, John Jensen, just yeah, fantastic squad there. But it was that that kind of oh, hang on a minute, it's not always going to be predictable, and that was almost what what gives you a bit of hope, leads to the hope in Euro '96 that we could actually win it. If it wasn't for Denmark winning '92, I don't think we'd have had that hope. Excellent. Um, these points, by the way are specifically for not giving a Euro 96 answer, um, which <laughs> was... And, and Denmark that, weren't even supposed to be there, were they? No, and, and it was Denmark that changed football forever because after that tournament, they changed the pass-back rule because that's what, they would, that's what they were doing to keep the ball and waste time. Yeah, but I love that. Yeah, oh, think, it's think, shit, think... shit housery. Sports shit housery. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, um... Doug is on 25 and probably is going to stay on 25. Uh, ben, 42. Russ, 41. Phil, 64. Absolutely flying. Um, time. I, for... I can lose it from here. It's fine. Yeah, of course, of course you can. <laughs> Anything could happen. Um, the platinum jiffy bag question is next, and you can get nine bonus points if you match my answer. Um, why don't... In fact, let's, let's start with Douglas again. Um, 
I should read the question, really. Um, Darren Stevens, he smashed 190 from 149 balls last week, aged 45. Um, so the question is, what's the best sporting achievement from somebody in their 40s? I think until this Sunday, um, one of the greatest sporting achievements by a 40-year-old, moreover, would have been Tiger Woods at the Masters. But with Phil Mickelson winning this weekend, I think... Does that count, Phil Mickelson in his 50s? If not, I'm expecting a point deduction here. But Tiger at the Masters, not only for what an achievement it was, but also for just how amazing it was as a spectacle and, and how it gripped pretty much all of the world, really, not just golf people. It, you know, Tiger Woods transcends that. And he's, he's. Uh, I mean, yeah, he's got, you know, a sketchy past. I mean, who hasn't wanted to fuck the nanny? <laughs> <laughs> Doug did expect a points deduction. I can't even be bothered to give him one. Um, right, uh, Ben, sporting achievement for someone in their forties. Well, it, it did strike me that <clears throat> we could have just all picked managers. But, uh, <laughs> I, I thought that was probably not in the spirit of the rules. Um, so uh, I felt I had to go with sports greatest forty plus in what's actually still a fairly physical sport, not golf. Um, I've gone with Tom Brady. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. He'd won more Super Bowls than was decent before 40, and uh, he looks on course to win the same number again, which is absolutely incredible. Um, I know he's not to everyone's taste as a, as a person, but uh, on the pitch, he is pretty much untouchable, I'd say. And uh, he looks like he might play till he's 50. I mean, technically, it's an amazing answer, and he's—it's an amazing achievement for him. But it's—it's it's Tom Brady. It's uh, just—I can't—I can't give that too many points. Um, what, Russ, what if I say he's just giving in, giving everybody a chance to snap him in half at the age of fifty when his bones are brittle? Just—you're just going to lose more points. Um, there you go. <laughs> just, just keep talking. I'll talk over you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that'll get you some back, obviously. Any, <laughs> any partridge reference will do that. Uh, Russ? Um, my answer, the greatest sport achievement for uh, a person in their 40s, there can only be one and an absolute legend in my eyes, even though he did leave Tottenham to join Manchester United at some point, and that is Edward Paul Sheringham. Nice. He had a, a glittering career, obviously scored that Champions League goal, not in his 40s. But he was the uh, the oldest outfield player to appear in a Premier League match and the oldest player to score in a Premier League match at the age of 40 years and 268 days. He then also went on to play for Colchester at the age of 42 in League One and, score, um, and scored in League One at the age of 42. So, uh, yeah, Teddy Sheringham, what a guy. Decent. His... Uh... His management stint in Stevenage should obviously get a mention. Um, otherwise, I'd, I'd, I'd be cheating. I'd be cheating some people that we know well. Um, Phil, who's your 40-something? Well, so I think Ben's was probably technically the right answer, but was never going to do well. Um, <laughs> and Doug's got the right sport, but the wrong person. Um, ultimately, Tiger Woods is chasing somebody else's record. Um, and that person's Not the only thing he's chasing. Well, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that and that person's Jack Nicholas. So Tiger's won fifteen majors. Jack Nicholas has won eighteen. Jack Nicholas won three majors in his forties. No other person has done that. No other person's come vaguely close to doing that. Um, absolutely 
dominated a a an individual sport for massive amount of time and never really showed any issues as when he hit his 40s whereas tiger woods hit hit mid 30s and just broke down mentally and physically um and uh has pretty much worn his penis down to a little nub <laughs> so like how you can pick tiger Woods over jack nicholas i've got no idea <laughs> absolutely um all right, next up, um, pretty simple question. You may have seen it teased on uh, who was, Twitter who was earlier. Who's in the Jiffy bag? Oh, oh, one, I don't think we've ever done a show when I've remembered that. Um, I, I had, I mean, there are a few names that sprung to my mind. Roger Miller, um, but actually yeah. nobody really knew John how old Embury. Roger Miller was. John Embury. Um, but this is, I mean, in fact, one of you said, um, I think Russ, about um, Teddy Sheringham, you know, playing a, a proper sport. Um, as a striker, um, you know, I'm going for another proper sportsman here, and that's Mark J. Williams, who at the age of, I think, 43, uh, won his third World Snooker Championship in a, in a final that was contested by two men in their 40s um, in 2018. I mean, John Higgins. I mean, Adam, with the greatest yeah. of respect, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that, Russ. A proper sport. <laughs> Simon you know, the chat, the, anything could be in the platinum jiffy bag, quite frankly. <laughs> Excellent. I do, like I do like a, my snooker. It's like picking a darts player. <laughs> no, yeah, that's 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 not going to happen. That's not a proper sport. Um, although, you know, it, it pays some of some of Doug's wages, and it stops him from being here as well. Uh, right, next up. Um, yeah, as I say, you may have seen it teased on Twitter, um, but what's the most stupid thing? you've ever seen somebody do in a sporting arena or sporting pitch, whatever. Um, let's go straight back to you, Phil. So I'm going to take you to the open at Carnoustie in 1999, where a certain Frenchman, Jean van der Velde, is leading by um, three strokes coming onto to the, to the 18th tee. So a uh, 499-yard yard hole, hits his first shot out of bounds, hits his third shot or his fourth shot as it was, straight into the Barry Burn, and then decides that he's going to walk into a stream that's about 18 inches deep, take his shoes and socks off, roll his trousers up, walk into the stream, and think about whether he can hit this ball off the bottom of an 18-inch deep stream. (laughs) Now, I struggle hitting a ball that's at the bottom of two inches of grass. So what made him think he's going to ever have the wrist strength or the power to get this out of a load of water? I've got no idea. Tears ensued. There were harsh words from his caddy after about 10 minutes of pissing about. He finally decided that it was absolutely bonkers. Um, Went back, chipped up, triple bogey. So ended up in a playoff and threw away the open. That is the perfect answer because you can excuse stupidity a little bit on a football pitch, a rugby pitch where it's heat of the moment, but on a golf course where you can step back and consider your, your actions over the course of several minutes, um, just just incredible levels of stupidity. Um, ben, who have you got? <clears throat> so, um, like a lot of university towns in Bristol, there's a varsity match. Uh, between Bristol Uni and UWE. And uh, it was always played at the Memorial Ground where Bristol and Bristol, Bristol Road Club and Bristol Rovers both used to play. And, and it got a decent crowd, sort of four or 5,000. And uh, 
my third year at uni we we went to watch because uh, one of my housemates was uh, was captain of the men's team and the sort of curtain raiser was the the women's game and uh it was five nil to bristol with about five minutes to go uh bristol put a kick into the ue 22 and the ue fullback uh fielded the ball took off and beat four or five tackles by the halfway line beat the beat the opposition fullback went straight under the posts now unfortunately I imagine she wasn't used to playing in front of four or five thousand people. So rather than putting the ball down, she just stood and stared at the crowd and put both arms in the air <laughs> with the ball under one elbow and touchdown. About yeah, about two thousand supporters just all <laughs> shouted, "Put it down!" <laughs> and um, the the Bristol fullback just snuck up behind her, tackled her, hit her in the back, and uh, it ended up five nil to Bristol. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, Russ, what's the most stupid thing you've seen? I mean, there are loads. And thanks to the people that got involved on Twitter. I know um, Ben Bacon sent through a couple of things. Ruth sent a couple of things through. There's Ben Botica, who kicked it directly to um, when he was playing for Harlequins. I think it was... So, Mom- don't, you don't need to elaborate on that. We might hear, we might hear about him in a minute. Uh, right, OK. Well, I definitely <laughs> won't elaborate about him. Um, there's the Usain Bolt being run over by a cameraman after winning Olympic gold. That was pretty decent. Um, but for me, the stupidest thing, and it couldn't have happened to not one of the nicest guys in rugby, uh, Clement Poitrineau, Wasps 2004 Heineken Cup final. Um, I think it was 2004. need to remember my, um, my maths and my... Uh, maths. My maths. <laughs> my date. Well, my counting back. Um who was in the last couple of minutes of the Heineken Cup final waited for that ball to bounce so he could dot it down for a 22 dropout rather than dealing with it effectively only for Rob Howley to sneak in and literally sneak the cup for Wasps from right under his uh, very French nose. So, you know, in my mind, you've just got to deal with a situation and then, and then take it from there, not wait and then give people a chance. That would that would be the most stupid one if uh, if a, another French pair hadn't have done exactly the same thing a few years later. Yeah, exactly. Against uh, England in the World Cup semi final. Yep. That um, was um, oh god, fucking hell! What was his name? Memos? Was it Memos? Or who's the one that everybody hates, including us? I can't remember his name now. That doesn't narrow anything down. <laughs> oh, <fucking hell. laughs> the dirty one. Uh, I know who you're thinking. That doesn't narrow yeah. much down, does it? Not Huge, eh? Huge, yeah. that's it. What do you think Doug's going to say? No, it was um, Damien Trey. Oh, good. Uh, oh, I think, I, I'm guessing then Doug's going to talk about Ben Botica. Let's find out. Let's try that again. The clock goes red. Um, you're at home in front of your fans. All you've got to do is boot it out. So what do you do? You punt it to uh, the opposing fullback. Three passes later, Northampton are under the post and, and um, Harlequins lose a premiership match that they should have won and Northampton win a match they should have lost. You'd think that that would be enough for Ben Botica for the stupidest thing that's ever happened on a rugby field. But no, he compounded that by doing it again in the European final barely three weeks later. An absolute muppet who was dispatched to the French second division swiftly thereafter. That's, that's actually... Uh, Van der Velde's a good odds. That might be the 
the best one just for the fact he's he's done it twice. <laughs> of, of, there aren't many things on a rugby field that I feel that I could do, but boot the ball out when the when the eighty minutes are up, I think would be one of them. And um, there you go. Okay, a quick, very quick look at the scores. Doug's doesn't matter. Um, Ben sixty one. Russ, 59. Phil on 88. You've got to really, really mess this up um, to not be in defending undefendable. Um, right. A 50-year-old, as Doug touched on earlier, a 50-year-old Mill, Mill Fickleson. <laughs> <laughs> Get me a 50-year-old oh, that's amazing. use those exact words. <laughs> Hi, I'm Brian Habana, and this is the ball over. Right. Phil Mickelson has just won his sixth major um, at the age of 50. Not that that matters, apparently. Uh, but who is sport's greatest lefty? And I'm going to go straight back to, to Doug because then I can stop looking at these voice recordings. Three words Brian, Charles, Lara. <laughs> there we go. Decent. Right. Uh, ben. Uh, three words, Diego Armando Maradona. Um, I mean, in terms of uh, his reputation in England, I, I, I'm not going to hold a grudge 35 years later. I think we, we're probably over it and mm-hmm. the, the man's dead. So <laughs> <laughs> needless to say, we had the last laugh. Um, <laughs> but, um, you know, people... T- now talk about Messi, but um, Maradona could do what Messi can do while simultaneously being kicked up in the air by every central defender from Buenos Aires to Barcelona. Can, so, uh, can Messi do it while he's absolutely messed up on coke? I don't exactly. even prove who, that. Know, who knows? We'll never know. <laughs> and uh, Maradona pretty much uh, single-handedly took him to two World Cups and, you know, he's probably the greatest footballer of all time. Um, and uh, he was left first, so... That's my vote. There we go. All right. Phil. Four words. Sir Alistair Nathan Cook. Oh, oh come on. Get off of Adam's dick. Nearly 12 and a half thousand. Is your uh, defender, whatever we're calling it this week, going to be how much you love the Tennessee Titans? Uh, it could be. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Twelve and a half thousand test runs, uh, an average of forty-five. I'm just going to read out just one short section of what is an amazing career here. England's most capped test player, England's record test as captain. Leading run scorer in test matches for England. Youngest player ever to get 12,000 test runs. Record 33 test centuries for England. First England player to take part in 50 test victories. There you go. Adam, oh. for, our, um, for our listeners, what shirt are you wearing? Uh, it's, it's, a, the, it's an Essex Eagles um, T20 shirt. <laughs> no, um, by right. the way, um, I, I don't have a sound effect for it because it has never come up, but I am just going to award Phil 100 points. I can still, I can still screw this up. <laughs> you literally can as well. Um, right, Russ, well, sports I... greatest lefty. So I'm not going to spend too long answering this question based on the fact that Phil's just been given 100 points for basically <laughs> sucking you off. So I'll give you four words. I'll give you four words and a, a title. I, I don't even know what you'd call it. George Herman Babe Ruth Jr. Uh, the sport's greatest lefty. Baseball, one of the probably the all-time great in baseball. 
714 home runs, 2,213 runs involved in, including uh, and some pick. I know you said wickets then pitches um, and outs in baseball. I mean, baseball is 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 a yeah. Russ, what do any of these stats mean? He, he was good at baseball, mate. Very good at baseball. And <laughs> he's uh, got an ERA of three thirty-seven point two. He did. We can all just he, make up. Well, I'm not what, does, what does ERA stand for? Uh, who knows? Wikipedia will tell you. Um, run average. <laughs> and also, uh, they named the chocolate bar after him. So, you know, that's pretty decent. What, the Snickers? Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Right, there the we go. Brand name, you fool. <laughs> right, any other business time? Um, let's see who's trailing. It's Doug. Um, Doug hasn't got any. Um Next up, we're only three points behind Ben, incredibly, Russ. So you could you could sneak into defend the undefendable if you've got a really good any other business. So let's hear it. Um, Premier League football season's just finished. Um, and I'm, as a Tottenham Hotspur fan, I am disappointed to hear in, in the media and, and media rumours about Harry Kane wanting to leave Tottenham. Um one thing that disappoints me about footballers and sport in general is when people make this sort of desire public. And I think that, you know, whilst he hasn't come out and said it, he's leaked enough to the press and there's enough rumours going around to, to suggest that, you know, it's, it's what he actually wants. Now, if that's the case, then he should be allowed to leave and he deserves to leave. You know, he's, he's given his all for Tottenham and people like Daniel Levy have basically fucked him and fucked every manager that Tottenham have had in the last 10 years. Um, but, you know, I just think the media are one thing, but players should hold themselves in a little bit of decorum and and conduct themselves accordingly. I'm not saying that Harry won't, but you just got to look at people like Christian Eriksson. You look at players that have forced their way out of clubs by downing tools and just being general dicks. Oh, I just look think, at Julio Jones right now in the NFL. Absolutely. Yeah. It just leaves a real bit of taste. And it makes you think, actually, as a supporter of a club that might be going, that these players might be going to, um, do you actually want that type of person at your club that's going to act, conduct themselves in such a way that you know makes themselves look like a bit of a spoiled, arrogant twat? Um, I'm not saying Harry Kane is a spoiled, arrogant twat, by the way. I just, uh, you know, it led on to a wider point about about sportsmen, you know, downing tools and, you know, wanting to get out of contracts and shit like that. It's fine because Potch is coming back and he's going to persuade him to stay oh, because, do you know why? Oh, he's magic. He is magic. You know. <laughs> Mauricio Pochettino. Right, um, sorry, Ben. <laughs> Did I tell you how much I love Alistair Cook? Um, <laughs> so, I, I discovered a, I discovered an unusual thing last night. Um, I was just about to go to bed, and uh, I thought I'd put the the dog. You want to get that checked? <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I opened the door. I thought I'd let him go out and do his business outside, and uh, he wouldn't go out. And uh, finally, he sort of ventured out the door, and uh, there was a noise, and he sprinted back in. And he spent the next three hours highly agitated, barking. I was up till 2 a.m. Turns out he's scared of owls. <laughs> you should take him. I know a cracking owl sanctuary. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there was, there was an, there was an owl in the, in the vicinity. And uh, 
yeah, he was not impressed at all. He wouldn't go anywhere near the middle of the garden in case he got picked up. Um, so there you go. Spaniels and owls don't mix. <laughs> um, I've just realised that those points I just gave you put you level on Russ. Oh, well, I'll figure that out in a minute um, if one of, one, of, one of you opens your mouth at some point. Uh, we've got Phil's only other Great. There you go. You're in the final, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Phil, any other business? I mean, you could belch into the microphone. It doesn't really matter at this point. Yeah, no, I've, I've actually got something really important to say. Um, so, brief timeline. 2nd of May, yeah. 2nd of May, I, I get sent uh, an electricity bill due to be paid by the 8th of May. 5th of May, I try and pay said electricity bill, but the payment portal is not working, so I can't pay it. 12th of May, I try to pay again. It's not working. I set up a direct debit. 25th of May, i.e. today, the electricity company tried to take out a county court judgment against me for not paying my electricity bill. So, as far as I'm concerned, Symbio Energy, you can fuck right off. So, as soon as this is sorted, I'm changing electricity supplier and I'm never going to use you again, you dicks. There we go. Um... It's no shock to anybody. Uh, Phil, you are in Defend the Undefendable with 208 points. <laughs> um, uh, Doug is on 25. Russ is on 83. Ben on 88. We'll join you there. Um, because we would like to make this show slightly different to something else, um, I'm going to ask second place if you would like to go um, first or second with Defend the Undefendable. So, Ben. First or second? With you for your, you'll have 22 seconds to defend something, basically. You know how this works. I, I think I'll go second. Okay, you can go second. Um, Phil, I'm going to give you... In fact, I wanted to give this to Russ, um, but you're going to defend it instead. Um, 22 seconds. They should simply bin the next Euros qualification and just stick the top 24 into the tournament from the Eurovision Song Contest. Well, obviously they should, because all of these qualification games, all they do is they take the players away from the Premiership, where they're going to get injured, or the the Ligue 1, or the uh, La Liga, whereas what we want to do is we want to see those players playing for their clubs. The only time we ever want to see them playing for the country is in a major championship. Plus, more importantly, if it's top 24, England aren't there. No hope. There we go. Time's up. Um, You use the word Premiership to describe football in your answer, so I... Yeah, you're not I looking favourite. I think that's the same mistake I made last time that cost <laughs> me. Um, ben, um, the gate receipts that four clubs finally received from hosting League Two playoff semi-finals should be used to pay for Boris Johnson's wedding. Well, Boris is a great man, isn't he? And uh, he's he's hard up. These clubs, they've got attendances of at least I don't know three hundred. 400. Boris probably only wants 120 at his wedding. <laughs> He's a modest man. And, uh, and I think working people from the north should be made to pay for Etonian's weddings, <laughs> which they probably do already. <laughs> there we go. Um, it turns out it doesn't matter that the fact that you got 100 points, Phil. Um, ben is going to win this week's punching chat. Congratulations. Incredible. <laughs> well done. Adam, Thank you very much. Great fun as always. Um, Pleasure. You know, I, mean, knows, like, I mean, so I still haven't broken my duck. You've not oh, won a punching chat yet. Never won a punching chat. <laughs> you think you think the host would have noticed that that level of oversight? <laughs> um, 
I'd hate that. I'd hate for that to become a thing, like me coming last. Um, <laughs> Doug came yeah. last. Let's be clear. Oh yeah. Sorry, came last. Even at least, yeah, at least she turned up, Russ. Yeah. So I mean, who knows? Once um, once the rugby season finishes, if it ever finishes, we might plug the gap with some punching chat during the summer. Or you never know. There may be rumours of a uh, another podcast conglomerate resurrecting in in the Long Leg podcast. During the during the cricket season, who knows? Um, but yeah, Adam, it's been a pleasure again. Thank you for coming back and doing some questions and hosting the punching chat, where you've got uh, other places to be right now. And uh, Phil and Ben, I will talk to you next week. The return of the Premiership, three games left uh, before the before the, uh, the semi finals. So um, extra Bristol and two others. Let's let's see what happens. Uh, to all the rest of you, it's been a pleasure and go well. Sports Social Podcast Network. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.